Get Back to Basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Hi, and a very good afternoon to you. Um, I don't know how many times I need to remind you that it's Judaism 101.9, not just Judaism 101. Judaism 101.9 here on High FM on the afternoon of Wednesday. Today, the ninth day of Tammuz. And it's a privilege to be with you this afternoon to share some thoughts with you, as we always do on Judaism 101.9, some basics of Judaism, some interesting facts, some uh, ideas, some ideals, some things that we need to live up to or try to at least. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to spend the next 45 minutes or so engaged in just that. If we take a look back in history for the 9th of Tammuz, it's a fascinating thing, but in fact, the three weeks um, that are coming up actually, in a way, began today because it was in the year 423 before the Common Era or in the year 3338 of the way we as Jews count. Um, and, of course, as we are in 5780 right now, so about 2,500 years ago, it was uh, on this day that the Babylonian armies of King Nebuchadnezzar breached the walls of Jerusalem on the 9th of Tammuz in the year 3338 from creation. King Tzidkiyahu of Judah was captured and he was taken to Babylon. Now, a month later, the capture of Jerusalem was completed with the destruction of the Holy Temple and the exile of all but a small number of Jews began um, then as they were exiled to Babylon. The 9th of Tammuz was observed as a fast day until the second breaching of Jerusalem's walls by the Romans on the 17th of Tammuz, 3829-69 of the Common Era. In other words, 400 years later, when the um, walls of Jerusalem were breached by the Romans, that then, the 17th of Tammuz, replaced this date, the 9th of Tammuz, which was the earlier date of the breach by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians, and the fast then was, of course, moved to that date as well. Now, if we go to the um, uh, 10th of Tammuz, the 10th of Tammuz saw King Tzidkiyahu flee the city and captured then by the Babylonian troops in the plains of Yericho near Jericho on the 10th of Tammuz, and he was taken to King Nebuchadnezzar, who forced him to witness the slaughter of his own sons and then ordered his own eyes to be gouged out. Lovely way that uh, these despotic and uh, terrible kings and rulers of then uh, dealt with things. And, of course, it is a terrible, terrible time in Jewish history to think back then to the 9th and 10th of Tammuz all those years ago. If we go a little bit uh, forward in history and we come to the 12th of Tammuz, which we will actually be celebrating, commemorating on this coming Shabbat, 12th of Tammuz is the birthday of the 6th Lubavitcher Rebbe. The 6th Lubavitcher Rebbe, Rabbi Yosef Yitzhak Schneerson of Lubavitch, was born in 1880 um, on the 12th of Tammuz, and it also marks the date on which he was liberated from exile to the Soviet Gulag 47 years later. So that happened in 1927. It was on the 12th of Tammuz in 1927 that the 6th Lubavitcher Rebbe, Rabbi Yosef Yitzhak Schneerson, was officially granted release from his sentence of exile to Kostroma in the interior of Russia. 27 days earlier, the Rebbe had been arrested by agents of the infamous GPU, 
and the Efsetia, the Jewish section of the Communist Party, for his activities to preserve Judaism throughout the Soviet Empire, and he was sentenced to death, God forbid. International pressure forced the Soviets to commute the sentence to exile and subsequently to release him completely. And the actual release took place on the 13th of Tammuz. Um, so he was informed of it on the 12th. The release was on the 13th. And that is then celebrated as a festival of liberation by the Chabad Lubavitch community. So for the first part of uh, this uh, show of uh, today's Judaism 101.9, I'd like to share with you something about Yud Beit Tammuz, about this festival, the time of liberation, and perhaps to read to you something written by the previous Rebbe himself, which um, is fascinating, a description of his imprisonments, and then in the second part, perhaps to share some thoughts that I've certainly been having um, of late with uh, the COVID-19 pandemic, all the lockdowns and so on, perhaps addressing it from a little bit of a different angle or perhaps a concern or something that we should uh, and need to watch out for. Now, in uh, 1934, the previous Rebbe wrote the following, and it's a fascinating read. It says, in reply to your question about my imprisonment and my subsequent exile in Kostroma, Though everything is recorded in my notes, for various reasons, the only things that may be revealed are a number of excerpts and general impressions that will be offensive to no one. The imprisonment in 5687 in 1927 was the seventh because I was imprisoned five times under the old, in other words, under the Tsarist regime, and twice under the new, in other words, under the communist regime. The first imprisonment took place in Lubavitch when I was 11 years old. Yes, in the town of Lubavitch, where Chabad Hasidism uh, really took root in Russia. The Rebbe says he was arrested, the previous Rebbe, arrested when he was 11 years old. And at that time, following the advice and directive of my teacher, Reb Nissen, I began in 5652 in 1892 to record my recollections in a book. This incident, too, was recorded there in 1893. My second imprisonment took place in Lubavitch in ER 5662 in 1902. The informers to the authorities were the teachers of the school that had been founded in Lubavitch by the Society for the Dissemination of the Haskalah, the Enlightenment. The third imprisonment, also in Lubavitch in Tavis 5666 in 1906, resulted from the participation of members of the secular Poilatsion party in an uprising against the local police. The fourth imprisonment took place in Petrograd, in Tavis 5670 in 1910. The informer in this case was an educated Jew, which the Rebbe just calls K. The fifth imprisonment, also in Petrograd, in Schwat of 5676 in 1916, resulted from my efforts to obtain legal information concerning military exemptions for people serving in rabbinical positions. The sixth imprisonment in Rostov on the River Don in Tammuz 5680 in 1920 followed my denunciation to the authorities by D, the head of the local Yevsektia. Each of the above arrests, however, resulted in imprisonment for a number of hours. The seventh was somewhat weightier. And we'll deal a little bit more with a bit more of that when we come back after the break. But... Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. We're continuing with our 
a letter that was written by the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe describing his imprisonments. And, of course, we spoke about the fact that he said he was imprisoned seven different times on seven different occasions, which he enumerates there, and then goes on with the following. He says, normally, an analogy is less earnest than its analog. Consider then, if imprisoning a person, a body, in a jail of wood and stone is called suffering, then how intense must be the suffering of the divine soul when it is imprisoned in the body and the animal soul? This is something worth thinking about deeply. The Rebbe says, I will not deny that from time to time the seventh imprisonment brings me particular pleasure. As witness, even now, some seven years after the event, which was when he wrote this letter, I occasionally set aside time to spend alone to picture in my mind's eye the sounds and words, the sights and the dreams that I heard, saw and dreamed in those days. A lifetime spans a certain number of changing stages, childhood, boyhood, youth, young adulthood, adulthood, advancing years and old age. People also vary in their gifts, whether common and mediocre or wonderfully luminous, likewise in their natures, for example, whether bashful and morose or jolly and exuberant. But apart from all these variables, in the course of a lifetime, divine providence engineers particular periods which some, sometimes change a man's very nature. They develop his gifts and set him up at a particular height so that he can gaze upon the ultimate purpose for which a man lives his life on the face of the earth. Above all, a man's personality and gifts are most intensely escalated by a period rich in suffering, which is inflicted on account of his vigorous endeavors for an ideal. This is particularly so if he struggles and battles with his pursuers and persecutors for the sake of preserving and advancing his religious faith. Such a period, though fraught with affliction of the body and suffering of the spirit, is rich in powerful impressions, and such days are the luminous days in a man's life. Every single incident is such a, in such a period is significant. In particular, if imprisonment is involved, the resultant spiritual benefit is so great that it warrants the recording not only of days and nights, but even of hours and minutes. For every hour and minute of torment gives rise to an inestimable benefit. It makes a man so resolute that even a weakling is transformed into the most courageous of men. He goes on and says, My arrest began at 2.15 a.m. on Wednesday, the 15th of Sivan, 5687 in 1927, and continued until 1.30 p.m. on Sunday, the 3rd of Tammuz, 5687 1927, in Leningrad. After these 18 days, 11 hours and 15 minutes, I spent approximately six hours in my home, and at 7.30 p.m. took the train to Kostroma. I arrived there on Monday, the 4th of Tammuz, and remained in exile until 12.30 p.m. on Wednesday, the 13th of Tammuz, for a total of nine days and 17 hours. Finally, he says, in response to your request, I'm now sending you selections from my notes concerning the respective terms of imprisonment. And it's quite awesome, frightening, a little bit scary to think about what the Rebbe was subjected to in those terrible days of imprisonment. It wasn't a uh, walk in the park. It wasn't something that was simple. In fact, 
there were some terrible, terrible, hairy moments that the Rebbe describes in his um, uh, uh, notes on it as tractate Gehinnom. He talks about the tractate of Gehinnom. And I'd like to just read you a short extract here. He says, entering the gateway, we turned right into a gloomy corridor lit by small lamps. Instead of merely requesting, I now literally pleaded with the God that he should allow me to put on tefillin and added that it was difficult for me to walk so fast. He replied that if I couldn't continue to insist, he would take me straight to the dungeon. I continued to plead just five minutes, three minutes, and explained that I was an observant Jew who merely wanted to wear his tefillin for a few minutes. In between puffs of his pipe, he told me that he knew very well what tefillin were. He once lived in a small town near the local synagogue and knew what prayers were too, but he would still not grant me my request. I therefore put on my hand tefillin as I continued to walk behind him. But before I managed to put on my head tefillin, he turned around and struck me. In doing so, he pushed me down the whole of the iron staircase to my left, but I broke neither, neither hand nor foot, thank God. Laboriously and painfully, I managed to climb up a few steps. Evidently, the metal component of the belt that I had been wearing for some years broke as I fell. It now tore at my skin. My heart froze with pain. I felt about to faint. Just wait and see what a delicious dish the chief of the 6th Division is going to serve you, shouted the God. Then you'll forget about your requests and your prayers. After you spend three or four nights lying among the mice in the dark muck and mire, then you'll understand that Spalerno is no place to turn into a Jewish house of prayer. Having arrived at a wide corridor, I still had to cope with three more staircases before reaching the third floor, where the chief of the sixth division would punish me for my transgression. I was forced to sit down to rest on one of the steps. In addition to the pain, I felt that my abdomen was bleeding from the injury. Walking was extremely difficult. Swallowing my pain, I held onto the iron balustrade and raised myself with difficulty from step to step. The god had already reached the third flight while I made my cumbersome way upstairs like a broken old man. And so the Rebbe goes on describing some of the terrible, terrible hardships and tortures that he was subjected to, some that damaged him for life, some that damaged him forever. But amazing to see how the Rebbe came out of that imprisonment with the positive attitude of realizing that this was something that was not only by divine providence and that needed to have taken place, but to realize that when, as he stood up resolutely against everything that the gods threw at him, that the prison authorities threw at him, he was triumphant in his spirit. He was triumphant in his ability to stand up and to realize and to recognize that his Yiddishkeit, his Judaism, his adherence to his mitzvot, to his mitzvahs, to his Torah, to his learning, and so on, were of paramount importance, and that nothing and absolutely nothing would and could stand in the way of the accomplishment, of the achievement, of the fulfillment of that Torah, of those mitzvot, of those things that he needed to do along the way. And then, of course, the days of liberation, the 12th and the 13th of uh, Tammuz coming up on this Shabbos and Sunday, days of liberation where the previous Rebbe was then released, released not only from the imprisonment 
which had happened a few days before, but released, in fact, from all the charges that were against him, released from that exile to that terrible place in Kostroma, where he was sent. And uh, uh, it's amazing how the Spilerno prison was uh, far, far darker and more difficult. And, of course, um, one cannot estimate or think about just how terrible those environments, the imprisonment or the, the exile, could have possibly been for a man of the stature of the previous Rebbe um, and, of course, having suffered the terrible tortures that he did in the interrogations that were carried out in the name of communism, of trying to stamp up out Judaism and particularly Hasidism and particularly the brand of Hasidism that the previous Rebbe was preaching and was trying to have disseminated and fulfilled throughout Russia and around the world. Now, one of the thoughts um, for Yud Beit and Yud Gimel Tammuz and for this week that I have to share with you is something that perhaps I've been involved in a little bit over the, over the last few weeks and time um, during this COVID lockdown as a rabbi, and I'm sure that there are many of my colleagues who have as well, and that is not only dealing with the regular um, things that um, – Sadly or unfortunately or sometimes happily, people have had to deal with during this time um, the simchas that have had to be adjusted and, God forbid, the uh, negative parts of life, the uh, tragedies, the difficulties that have had to be, be dealt with. And then dealing, of course, as we've had to do with shul closures and with an inability to function in a uh, usual way, in a fashion that we are used to. But of late, um, what is certainly... Um, pricked my attention and um, woken me up a little bit is the fact that there seems to be not only within the community the attitude of um, relaxing our um, adherence to the coronavirus rules or regulations of how to prevent the spread and the wearing of masks, the social distancing and all of those things which are imperative and which we need to encourage people particularly now to be even more uh, cognizant of and take more precautions because things are spiking as um, you obviously know throughout our community and country. But um, a relaxation that has certainly been brought to me in several instances of our Yiddishkeit, of our Judaism. And I'm not only talking about the fact that uh, people perhaps are being lax in their davening or learning, but what I'm really referring to is a kind of an attitude that um, seems to have crept in that, well, everything else is on lockdown, so let's lock down on our morality, on our ethics, on our... Uh, stand, standards that we uh, perhaps have in our regular lives. And I'm not sure if anybody else has uh, been brought such uh, difficulties or issues or problems. Um, but perhaps um, as a rabbi, perhaps we notice it a little bit more. And what I have certainly noticed um, of late is that people are taking liberties in their moral lives that they would not have done before. And we'll be back to explain a little bit more and chat about that. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. And not that I'm comparing um, our lockdown or current situation to in any way what the previous Rebbe went through in an imprisonment, 
But certainly when we think about what he learned from it and what we need to take from it is uh, that it's at a time like this that we need to stand up stronger than ever before for our Judaism, for our Yiddishkeit, for our Torah, for our mitzvahs. We need to stand up stronger than ever before for our morality and our ethics. And we dare not, as we dare not drop our guard when it comes to the COVID-19 regulations and restrictions, we certainly cannot drop our guard when it comes to our Judaism expectations and needs and rights, privileges and regulations. And I'm referring to some simple things um, which unfortunately, during a time like this, um, seem, and of course it's a sweeping statement, it's not across the board, but certainly by some, uh, where there is an attitude that, you know, it's um, COVID-19, it's uh, coronavirus, it's lockdown time, and kind of anything goes. So in the same way as um, I could maybe walk around the house in, the pajama, in my pajamas, or the same way as I can perhaps... Um, stay home rather than going to work or school or university or so on, is we are dropping, or some, let's put it, have maybe dropped their attitudes when it comes to personal morals, ethics, and standards. And um, I think of a, an incident that um, perhaps is uppermost in my mind, or incidents that are perhaps uppermost in my mind, is a uh, the attitude of young people who... Perhaps we're looking forward to getting married at some stage or getting engaged at some stage. But during this period of time, it's been a little bit easier just to say, well, why not move in together? Why not just live together? And in fact, gone about doing just that, um, which is from a Judaism point of view, from a moral point of view, from a um, – Anything point of view, and perhaps it sounds very archaic and old-fashioned, but then uh, rabbis haven't always been accused of being super modern in outlook on these kind of things. Um, we think of um, the defiance or the lack of a backbone when it comes to uh, standing up for what is right and what is correct, and to drop your guard and say, "Well, at this time, at this time, kind of anything goes." And therefore, let's shack up together. Let's live together. Besides the fact that um, these are unusual times and difficult times and times when um, everybody is uh, battling to cope on whatever level we are battling to cope, it certainly um, is and can be construed as being um, a time when we can do anything. We can drop our God. We can let the uh, immoral, um, unethical behaviors creep in because it's coronavirus. Everything is going to be blamed on coronavirus. And so the concept of a marriage and the concept of formalizing our relationship and so on is uh, not needed at this time. But, of course, be warned. We're going to regret that kind of action. We're going to regret that kind of Im immoral thought. We're going to regret that kind of immoral behavior. We're going to regret it. It's going to come back and haunt us. It's going to come back and bite us. And it's certainly not something that we should be doing. We should rather be digging our heels in to be stronger, to be more moral, to be more ethical, to be more adherent of our Torah and mitzvot. That we will certainly never regret. Be back with you right after this. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. 
So in conclusion today, let's uh, quote once again from the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe um, on the days coming up to Yud Beit Yud Gimel Tammuz, the idea of how we should look at imprisonment, incarceration, stand strong, be strong in our commitment to our Judaism, to our morality and so on. And the Rebbe writes and says, may you all be strong and healthy, both materially and spiritually. I hope to God that the punishment which I must temporarily suffer will, with God's help, inject fresh vigor in our eternal mission of strengthening Jewish life, and that we will merit the fulfillment of the promise that the Lord our God will be with us as he was with our fathers, and that all the children of Israel will have light in their dwellings, in both a spiritual and a material sense. So hopefully we can bring that light, we can create that light, we can make that light by adhering to the things that we are so proud of and that we are so and that are so important to our existence to our lives to our lives to our livelihood uh, to our very beings our morality our ethics our uh, torah our mitzvot and hopefully as we do that we will um, overcome all the difficulties of this seeming incarceration of this difficulty of these problems that we have had to confront and have to had to deal with and hopefully very very soon we will be redeemed not only from coronavirus covid19 and lockdown and so on but please god will be redeemed in every sense of the word with the coming of mashiach may he come speedily in our time i want to wish you a great shabbat up ahead a great yud bet yud gimel tammuz over this coming weekend uh, commemorated celebrated think about the importance of adhering in dark times to what is important to us and standing up for what is right and what is correct Look forward to seeing you, being with you, speaking to you again, same time, same place next week on Judaism 101.9.